Hello, my fellow seekers, and welcome back to Ingo Swan's Secrets of Power, Volume 1. It is good to have you here. What comes after 6 and 7? Why, 8 and 9, the last time I checked. So, that's what we'll be doing today, Chapters 8 and 9 of Secrets of Power, Volume 1. Hope everybody's all right. If you're here following along as these are released, happy Halloween time. If not happy times, whatever time the time may be for you. Let's get to it. It's Chapter 8 time. Here with you, me, and Ingo Swan. Chapter 8. The Traditional Power Pyramid Of all the possible designs for societal power structures, the pyramid has been the most prevalent throughout history. That design is accepted not only as traditional, but inherently natural with our species as a whole. Pyramidal power structure is assumed to be emblematic and symbolic of power itself. One of the subtle results is that writers seeking to reveal the anatomy of power end up assessing the anatomy of the conventional power pyramid and not power itself. A societal power pyramid can house power, but the house is not the power itself. That's like, that's like Gypsy Danger in Pacific Rim. You know, it's an awesome machine, but it needs those two people to join and become one in the drift. That's where the real power resides. All right. Even so, Ingo goes on, societal power pyramids are quite real enough. Their anatomy needs to be examined. Social Conditioning on Behalf of a Pyramidal Power Structure Social conditioning is generally achieved by two visible methods. One, affirmative rewards to those who agree to work on behalf of supporting the power structure. That's it, Johnny. Thank you for telling on your classmate. Here's a candy bar. Two, condign or deserved, quote-unquote, punishment of those who go against the power structure. Douglas, don't question what I just said. Just shut up and do your test. Condign punishment refers to punishment that is thought to be deserved and appropriate within the context of any given power structure. Examples, uh, you know, social and professional condemnation, imprisonment, execution. Such punishments are designed to rid power structures of real or imagined misfits. But in terms of social conditioning contexts, they're used to be made as examples for others who might push out push up, and question that pyramidal power structure. But beyond mentioning that, none of the conventional assessments enter into extensive discussions regarding how wholesale depowerment is subtly achieved. There is more to social conditioning than punishment and reward, such as subtle formats of general behavior modification and mind control of the masses. Pick your team, watch this show, don't talk about magic, well, that's taboo. People get squeamish when you bring up 
near-death experiences. I wonder why that is, hmm? The conventional concept of the power pyramid design. And we all can picture a power pyramid in our minds. The apex at the top has the powerful, descending from the apex toward the base of the pyramid. We will find what are commonly called citizens and workers. They, of course, owe allegiance to the apex occupants who are guiding and controlling their society. These top dogs, quote-unquote, exercise ultimate control, authority, and influence throughout the entire pyramid collective. The underdogs volunteer or are conditioned to be managed by the top dogs. Yeah, we're going to need you to come in on Saturday and file those TPS reports. And watch out for those of you following the crypto space, Central bank digital currencies are definitely going to be a lot firmer of a nudge in telling you what you can and can't buy. It's already happening in China. The dude who just became the PM in England is pro-CBDC, pro-programmable money, money with an expiration date, money that maybe you can spend on a stake if you haven't driven your car this week. But if you have driven your car, get ready for your bug bars. That's what they want. Watch out now. Invisible Aspects of the Conventional Power Pyramid Important and more complex factors are conveniently smoothed over by casting the design into the neat shape of an equilateral triangle. Studied in depth, though, there's no societal power structure that can really be rendered as a neat equilateral pyramid. Why the idea of the balanced equilateral shape is publicly offered? Well, the neat shape represents an apparently complete, authoritative, but exceedingly simplified visage of power. This can be understood by the simple-minded and accepted by the naive. It also serves as some meaningful function in the social conditioning of the public. The neat shape serves to occlude easy perception of various problems and inconsistencies always present in any societal power structure. Numerical populations incorporated into a societal power structure. The first of such inconsistencies has to do with the actual numerical count of the populations throughout to be incorporated into the pyramidal schematic. The numerical differences can be tremendous, which is why the small cadre of the powerful exert control over massive populations of many hundreds of millions. It might be thought of as splitting hairs, but the difference between incorporated into and controlled by are real. Ingo says, if this difference is to be examined, it can be understood that the powerless masses are not actually incorporated into a power structure. They're merely controlled by it, either by agreement or force. The term incorporate is defined as, one, to unite thoroughly with or work indistinguishably into something already existent, and two, to blend or combine thoroughly to form a consistent whole. Technically speaking, then, populations of the powerless cannot actually be incorporated into power structures in order to form a consistent whole. I mean, come on. The reason is obvious enough. Doing so would erase the important distinctions between the powerless and the powerful. Furthermore, nowhere will the small cadres of the powerful wish, desire, or accept any such thing. Oh, you want to come up here, do you? <laughs> Shut up. In this sense, a power structure has a more limited definition which refers to the very small populations of the powerful themselves who structure control over the enormously extensive powerless masses. The conventional idea of the incorporative power structure feasibly breaks apart into the two structures. One, the controllers, the actual power structure of the small minority powerful, and two, 
the controllees, the actual powerless structure of the enormous majority powerless. The latter cannot be incorporated into the former. Those who truly have power to determine which way things should or should not go like to keep their participating numbers as limited as possible. The multiplicity of power structures within a power structure. In reality, a power structure cannot be thought of as one singular structure. In actual terms, a power structure is a multiplex construction of ensemble made up of numerous power structures, all of which can, and often do, have their separate areas of control, authority, and influence. The idea that these can be internalized or incorporated so as to seem a unified whole makes it difficult to identify from where the real control, authority, and influence of power actually emanates and downloads. In that sense, many conspiracy theorists build good cases for the existence of real controlling power, always being behind the scenes of visibly perceived power. Power with regard to meaningful areas of activity. To get more intimately into what is involved in the multiplexity, if power is defined as control, authority, and influence over others, it surely needs to be defined in an additional aspect. Control, authority, and influence over meaningful areas of activity. Some of these areas can easily be identified as military, economic, political, socio-cultural, educational, and last but not least, secret intelligence and workings typically associated with secrecy. All things considered, most consistently, real power is probably closely associated with, one, the very few of our species who hold economic and financial influences of some magnitude, Rothschild, <laughs> two, providing they also possess or have covert access to significant intelligence networks, and as well, three, are insulated in some productive fashion from the problems associated with the ephemeral factor called philosophical ethics. I just ordered a two-volume book set from Whitney Webb, One Nation Under Blackmail, Volumes 1 and 2. Check out our website, unlimitedhangout.com. Worth it. I won't go into too much here, but uh, listening to her on a podcast, The Higher Side Chats, wonderful episode, definitely recommend it, was recent in the October month of 2022. The first hour alone is uh, a treasure and was inspiring enough for me to get her books, it seems to lay out in graphic detail just how the actual power structure of our world, by and large, and it is not at all how it is displayed to us in the masses. We in the masses? Moving on, Ingo says, Wealth is always associated with power, but wealth alone does not automatically grant access to societal power an access which many who are not wealthy often achieve. Access, that's interesting. The arm of power structures invested with the powers of educating the masses. The point of all the foregoing distinguishes between the collective powerful entity and the collective powerless entity. Each of these can be thought of as civilizations in their own right with the minority powerful civilization controlling the massive powerless one. Richard Dolan talks about the breakaway civilization running us from afar. What's that movie? Iron Sky? Nazis are running us from the moon? <laughs> but that, uh, hey, kernel of truth, I'm sure, somewhere in there. The central purpose of working toward identifying this distinction is that if the powerless are to be controlled, then they, as a recognizable collective entity, must somehow be made knowingly or unknowingly amenable to control. 
The best vehicle for implementing and maintaining control is the socio-cultural factor called education, or what passes for it these days, and which, from the viewpoint of the really powerful, can be designed to consist of anything and everything except real knowledge regarding ways and means of empowerment. Yeah, we're, we're, <laughs> we're there. Behind the scenes, who decides what societally approved education is consisting of? This deciding includes what textbooks are to be designed and published, how histories are to be written according to which slant, what is considered appropriate to philosophical, scientific, and sociological teachings, and as well, what is to be educated toward and what is, so to speak, to be de-educated away from. And while for a long time the idea that consciousness was nothing but a byproduct of brain juices pumping through you, there seems to be a lot of persistent pushback and a lot of breaking through. We are definitely in unstable times, but with that instability comes revelation. Because the lockdown effect of our education system, our sociocultural programming, is losing its grip. And in its attempt to tighten its grip, more opportunities for gems of valuable knowledge slip out. Like that pouch in the Goonies, you know, with the gems at the end. And he's like, yeah, we can use the gems to pay off the house. Oh, you got nothing. Those gems look nice. Okay. Ingo says in his book, The Anatomy of Power, John Kenneth Galbraith all too briefly discusses the necessity of social conditioning with regard to educationally formatting the masses so as to establish among them a broad consensus acceptance of organized power structures. He observes that the conditioning has two faces, one having to do with what the masses need to be educated toward, and second, what they need to be educated away from. Consciousness. We're a power species. We're awesome. They don't want you to know that. It is not too much to say, then, that societally approved educational formats will contain vacuums of knowledge regarding anything that explicitly or implicitly might have to do with empowerment and depowerment. Indeed, omitting certain factors from the overall human knowledge pool is clearly one excellent way of keeping them invisible and inaccessible. But what is efficiently to be omitted is certainly understood by societal power structures. Otherwise, how could anyone know what to omit? Hmm? Which means they know what it is that they're omitting, to one degree or another. With exceptions to be discussed ahead, it is thus possible that the web of secrets preventing access to knowledge of empowerment is subtly implemented via the deliberately selected parameters of societally approved education. And I put, and culture, because how much, quote-unquote, education are we actually getting from our cultural programming? By far and large, humans usually and unquestionably assume the authority and truth regarding education downloading from approved societal power sources. Well, but they did it. Did they go to college? Huh? Whatever they have not learned via such sources will be considered unreal to them, and they will castigate it as such. Source? What's your source? If it's not an official source, if it hasn't been fact-checked... <laughs> Efforts to keep the powerless in conditions of depowerment are rather exquisitely designed, then. Oh, yes, they are. An exercise to imagine. Outline five or more processes that defeat empowerment and enhance depowerment. And I wrote a little bit here. Pornography, for sure. Social media, celebrity attention, 
victim mentality, dependence on centralized control structures, like our banking system. Ooh. But again, the fissures are opening up. With the tightening of their grip, they're losing a lot of opportunity to maintain the control that they once had. Technology's helping with that. Us having these conversations is helping with that. And so we are able to move onward, hopefully upward and outward away from these centralized systems, which, uh, as I'm seeing day in and day out, increasingly do not serve the majority of humanity. Bitcoin, baby. Bitcoin and Cardano. Not financial advice, but definitely look into them as the beginning of an opportunity to move away from these centralized systems. Russell Brand talks about it. Decentralized systems, decentralized places to live, to work, to operate, to grow together. That's the future of humanity, where we thrive and we shall thrive. First, during a short break, and then during our exploration of Chapter 9. Chapter 9. Four Generic Kinds of Individual and Societal Power Ingo begins, Power games go on within societal and corporate power pyramids. Those games denote where the power action is at. Those seeking to ascend to the heights of power feel obliged to take part in the games. But any action that can be perceived is probably quite superficial. Hmm. Hmm. The visible aspects will always obscure subtle aspects and problems. An obscured problem that can defeat empowerment. It is necessary to point up a problem that is central to power games, but which is never mentioned in conventional discussions about power. The lack of discussions lead to at least quasi-invisibility, and it has to do with what kinds of power are involved within this or that power game. Ingo says the precise function of this chapter is, one, to at least bring to light some of the dimensions of this problem, and two, to forewarn that if one wishes to enter into power games, but cannot identify the kinds of power involved, one will shortly find oneself in some kind of clobbered condition. Yeah, I mean, if you didn't know how to play chess and you just started moving stuff around, so it wouldn't work out so well for you. Know the game before you attempt to play it, at least in some simple sense. Why the problem becomes obscured. The first dimension has to do with why it is obscured in the first place. Power has a thousand faces, and anything having so many faces is a vast multiplex of some kind. It's going to be quite complex. A very important aspect having to do with achieving more empowerment is that the thinking patterns of the depowered are usually limited by what they think power consists of. That limited spectrum of awareness of what's going on is what we are trying to stretch out 
One really can't assign blame to the powerless for this deficiency because what they do think power consists of has been conditioned into them by socio-environmental factors. We have been played hard. Frames of reference regarding what power is thought to consist of. Ingo says, to help grok this overall panorama better, just imagine a large movie multiplex having 50 small theaters, each showing a film that portrays a different kind of power. On average, people will gravitate toward the theaters showing the kinds of power which they are most familiar. Rocky, Terminator, Die Hard, for me, The Shadow. One likely reason is that they have mental frames of reference for that kind of power, but not for the other kinds. Conditioned frames of reference is basically what we're talking about here. Conditioned frames of reference. This overall situation is important when it comes to the processes of empowerment at the individual level, because most people who would like empowerment will attempt to achieve it within the context of their existing frames of reference. This situation is important if viewed from the panoramic level of the powerful, who are not at all that receptive to any wholesale real empowerment at the individual level. One way to prevent, or at least to complicate, the individual kind of empowerment, which is what we're after here, is to keep the frames of reference regarding power as limited and as simple as possible. Case in point, gotta make that money. Make that money. What about, gotta make that food. I'm gonna grow some lemons. And then make some lemonade. And then sell that lemonade for the money. Well, you know what I mean. I mean, just to... The, <laughs> the idea that just making that money is a, an incredibly limiting way of pursuit of uh, any kind of power, though it is most immediately uh, effectual in our modern day, there are plenty of ways to grow in individual empowerment without necessarily primarily and only chasing after the money. If power is complex, but people are conditioned to think it's simple, Chances are pretty good that they'll never penetrate into the complexity, and the chances are also very good that those who can deal with the complexity will achieve control, authority, and influence over others who cannot. Another observable way to limit these frames of references is, more subtle, setting up intellectual and educational frames of reference, each of which apparently identifies different types of power. But on closer inspection... Those allegedly different types of power turn out to have quite similar societal power structures. Intellectualism's mistaken as different kinds of power. For example, most will intellectually assume that socialism, democracy, communism, capitalism, authoritarianism, totalitarianism, anarchism, revolutionism, fundamentalism, individualism, and even utopianism represent different kinds of power. But the typical pyramidal power structure can be superimposed with great ease on all of those intellectualisms. They are not different kinds of power, but merely refer to methods or ways whereby wealth, influence, belief, and information are to be managed within the structure. And all of those, all of them, power still belongs to the elite at the tops of the pyramids. That's why we gotta go decentralized! Three aspects about them that remain similar and familiar over time are the pyramidal formats themselves, their internal power ladders, and how empowerment and depowerment are managed. 
Indeed, there's an upward power mobility to be had even among anarchists and utopians. There will be power ladders to climb in order to gain proximity to chief anarchists, utopians, and intellectuals. If one conceptualizes empowerment within the contexts of shifting fabricated ideas about power, then it is little wonder that the processes of empowerment remain elusive, if not dumbfounding. Mark Passio's a pretty interesting guy. Usually is filled with uh, quite a bit of rage uh, against the machine that we all live in, and it shows. But he has a neat little thought experiment that I enjoy. Uh, and he says, uh, if it's you and somebody else on a desert island, right? You have more than enough resources where the two of you can just do what you want. You don't really ever have to actually interact. How compelled are you to have control, authority, and influence over that other person? Is that going to be your primary concern? Is that what's going to be your main motivation? Are you going to want to dominate that other person? Will you have any inclination, any desire to dominate that other person? And again, everything that uh, you need is in your environment. Accessible, you know, probably with some modicum of effort. But you can live your life on this deserted island awesomely, if you so choose. or on this deserted island with one other person, you could dominate another person. Where do you stand in this thought experiment? Would dominating that other person be a good thing? Would that help you? And conversely, how would you want that other person to view you? That's a fun thought experiment, and it gives me a perception of where I sit on the spectrum of self-empowerment versus power over others. Where do you sit on that spectrum? Are you chill on the desert island, or are you down for the authority game? Generic kinds of power. And this is cool. I like where we're going here. Ingo will break it down. But now we start to talk about what is in us all, already. Most writers attempting to establish the conventional anatomy of power do not distinguish very well between the kinds of power. A possible explanation for this omission is that books about power are written from the viewpoint of the powerful after their control and authority over others has become consolidated as societal power. All formats of consolidated societal power quickly assume the power pyramid design, after which they all look relatively the same. So it's easy enough to assume that kinds of power need not be distinguished in the conventional sense. But different kinds of power require the implementation of different kinds of depowerment, in order to disarm the masses. Societal power formats are artifices, artificial, designed to acquire and manage power by the few. That the management is obtained by the few, via whatever frames of reference or intellectualisms are deemed by them as necessary or convenient. Yet, although the societal power structures are designed social artifices, basic human power is neither an artifice nor an intellectualism. The artifices and intellectualisms are merely attached or appended to the real existence of our species' innate and indwelling powers. If this is the case, then our species must have generic powers, so that the artifices and intellectualisms can become attached to them. If the generic powers did not exist, then the artifices and intellectualisms would have nothing to attach to. Generic refers to whatever relates to or is characteristic of a whole group, class, or species. It's generic to us all. We all got it. 
Our species, physically, mentally, and creatively, displays even flaunts its power concomitants. Our power avenues, our power expressions, our power utility belt items. Our species must have many generic kinds of power. The following are four of the most obvious and easily identifiable. 1. Force power. 2. Artificial power. 3. Real power. 4. Stealth power. It's not too stressful to isolate at least these parameters of these four generic kinds of power. I mean, they're always being expressed and experienced. The only real difficulty is that the four kinds are usually found superimposed or intermixed in some fashion, which makes it a challenge to establish descriptive definitions of them. Though, people generally realize that the four kinds of power do exist. Now, here we go. Force power. 1. Force power is encountered on a daily experiential basis, and 2. Force power enjoys a vivid and rich historical and educational background and also has high entertainment value. All the action movies, force power, the power of, you know, more often than not, physical force. In its more overt format, and bluntly put, force power is the power of the fist, the gun, the club, the power of armies, the power of takeovers. More subtly, it's the power of persuasion by force, of mind conditioning, educational programming, of group or peer pressuring, of conformity. It is also the power of apprehension of terror, fear, and reprisals. Don't say this or that or you might be erased from the internet. Force power can be either overt or covert. And force power probably should be more clearly understood as some kind of enforcement power via fear. Force power is based on non-agreement, which is to say, in some kind of duress or threat of it. It must again be pointed out, however, Ingo says, that if there is no one to have something enforced upon them, then force power cannot exist. Force power draws or sucks upon the weaknesses, incompetence, or ignorance of others. Domination is but one of these many formats of force power. Whether it's composed of enforcing opinions, beliefs, or realities onto others, or if aggression of armed military takeover might, it can easily be viewed as parasitic. Force power feeds on enforcement. And thus, those who are victims of force power constitute the host that the force power parasites feed on. Force power is a parasite, always looking for something or someone to feed upon in order to sustain its own sense of why it is existing. Deep down the rabbit hole, you could uh, recall Don Juan's discussion of the predator, the other, also uh, in terms of uh, Gnostic information. They talk about archons being these parasites. When he goes to uh, Robert Monroe and his far journeys, discussing higher entities actually feeding on the emotional energy released by humanity called Loosh. It's really interesting. This, this theme of a parasite is uh, actually pretty pervasive and uh, how force power might be a, a nice little meat grinder for them to make their food. Force power, Ingo says, is ultimately experienced as destructive, even though its opening shots, so to speak, may seem to be mounted on glory, success, and that particular ecstasy that arises out of domination ideas. Clever force power managers realize that they can thrive if they engineer general conditions of depowerment and maintain them as such. Don't look over here. Pay attention to your television shows. Artificial power. Delegated power. 
is an artificial power. Just look at middle managers and governments. If control, authority, and influence are inspected closely enough, it can be seen that they represent not power itself, but status within an organized societal power framework. Status may ultimately bestow certain kinds of authority, but only in temporary or artificial ways. Those trying to climb power ladders within a power structure are more actually climbing status ladders. Status can easily come and just as easily go. Power is said to be a fickle thing. Status is more fickle. Real power. Real power isn't so easy to identify and discuss, largely because it's a human species attribute that can escape and give the finger to the control, authority, and influence that most societal power structures are based upon. So most societal power structures are perpetually nervous at the possibility of real power. As a result, educational and social conditioning steps are taken to make general understanding of it as convoluted and impenetrable as possible. The term real is defined as one of or relating to fixed, permanent, actual, or immovable things that have self-manifesting existence. Two, something that is neither derivative, dependent, nor contrived, but exists necessarily of and in itself. While artificial power can intellectually be recognized as such, real power seems to be a felt or sensed thing. Felt or sensed by others in some kind of empathic, intuitive, or telepathic manner. One of the major reasons is it's difficult to recognize and identify the contexts of real power. One of the major reasons it's difficult to recognize and identify the contexts of real power is that they extend beyond the physical and the tangible. Within conventional contexts, Power is judged almost exclusively as control of the tangible, or what represents it, such as wealth, property, money. The principal methods that advocates of materialism seize upon to deal with and control the intangible is to simply deny it exists, and then to socially condition against any knowledge about it. Within the context of power over the tangible, it's easy to know what there is to have power over. This includes the powerless in the form of their physical bodies not in their form as beings of our species. If the existence of the intangible, including the intangible nature of real power, was to be admitted as a reality, then impressive confusions would immediately surface regarding what exactly one is to have power over. So, deny the existence and somehow punish those who seek efficient enlightenment along those lines. I mean, just consider what is going on right now when it comes to our quote-unquote internet public square, and hopefully what will be alleviated when Mr. Musk becomes chief twit. But that is simply a microcosm, a big microcosm, but a microcosm of what's been going on in the human species for quite some time. The suppression of understanding and pursuit of real power, which is, according to Ingo, intangible. It is that free mind the liberated whole person, which has nothing to do with status in the material world. All right, last but certainly not least, stealth power. If our species is a power species, it must contain generic faculties and mental mechanisms via which power can be efficiently manifested, implemented, and controlled with regard to specific usage. It's possible to assume as much because all other remarkable attributes of our species that have achieved recognition are understood to have roots and functions through which they manifest. The human body-mind is designed for utter efficiency. 
But any system, no matter how efficiently designed to function, can become downgraded by factors imposed so as to distort and disarm the efficiency. Such distorting factors can be imposed into the efficient systems by social conditioning, mind control, and by deliberate destimulation of the intelligence and accompanying awareness required for the efficient functioning. By deleting or prohibiting cognitive knowledge packages needed for high-stage power functioning. Ideally speaking, a truly intelligent power system would be obliged to recognize that it must protect itself against such distorting factors. There is surely one truly efficient way to effectively achieve that protection. Truly intelligent power systems must take measures so as to conceal its existence from other intelligent power systems. Truly efficient power systems must remain hidden, secretive, and above all concealed. Then that system can deploy its powers by stealth. The term stealth, however, is defined as 1. The act or action of going or proceeding furtively, secretly, or imperceptibly. 2. The intent to escape observation, notice, or identification. Stealth, therefore, is a cut above the hidden. If human history was not full of confirmed examples of stealth power, might be easy enough to think that stealth is artificially designed in power games. But because of the copious evidence, it's possible to think of it as a natural and necessary factor innate in any intelligent power system. Well, sure. I mean, higher truths are kept hidden because those who are not ready to receive them would not understand them and might, uh, might do some damage with them, might misinterpret them, might start... Who knows? But uh, pearls before swine, that's a real thing. Having a wonderful discussion on uh, Better Call Call, uh, a show that I am frequenting uh, once a week with my co-host and friend Darth Call. Thursday evenings, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. His channel, Darth Call, is where you can find it. D-A-R-T-H-C-A-U-L. We had a fantastic guest on. Alien Scientist is his moniker. Jeremy is his name. And we discussed just the plain fact that, okay, sure, what if aliens are out there and they've got zero-point energy at their fingertips? Well, what if zero-point energy actually got around to the masses right now, today? There are plenty of groups on this Earth that would use it to blow up other groups and potentially blow up the... I mean, just screw it all up. So it makes sense that the real good stuff is imperceptible to most. We as individuals are tasked with individually leveling up so that we individually can operate at higher levels. And when enough of us get up there, well then, we'll be able to collectively make a difference. But we've got to take care of ourselves first. And a great way to do that is to converse individual to individual. Thank you for having me in your ear. This is how I enjoy fumbling around in the dark and finding those stair steps upward. So thank you, each of you individuals, for helping me find those stair steps. Right. Stealth power is a generic kind of power within our species as a whole. It's baked in with us. Historical evidence more than suggests that stealth and power somehow go together very closely. And anyone attempting empowerment should always bear this in mind. But there is also those adages, timeless. The master appears when the student is ready, who hasn't had books jump out at them when the time was right to have that knowledge consciously become aware of. I think ultimately the universe is for us, not against us which is why those elites have to work so hard at keeping us down. 
It is our tacit compliance which allows it to, at least on the face of it, flourish. The most distinctive characteristic of the four generic powers. Perhaps the most distinctive characteristic of the four generic powers so far identified is that one doesn't need to intellectually study them in a book in order to sense or intuit their presence. Even those whose awareness and intelligence have been grossly truncated or diminished can still retain a good chance of sensing their presence. If this is adequately grokked, then we are finally talking about awareness and intelligence rather than about intellectualisms and societal artifices. Intellectualisms and societal artifices belong to social activity, which can be conditioned in various ways. But generic forms of awareness and intelligence belong to our species itself. Exercises to expand awareness of the four kinds of generic powers. Make stealthy lists of people who seem to fall within each of the four kinds of generic powers. I started some force power, cops, criminals, bullies, artificial powers, middle managers, celebrities, real power, anyone who has taken their life into their own hands. And I would add to that, taken their mind into their own hands. Stealth power, aliens, discarnate entities. Whitney Webb, uh, I believe it was the second hour, uh, in that discussion on the higher side chats, did mention, and apparently, I mean, you can find, like, you find this online. Uh, I think it's the dude who ran uh, Victoria's Secret. He admittedly stated that he has been led around the nose by some kind of demonic entity, <clears throat> which pushes him to earn more and more money and gain more and more earthly power to then exert a certain influence over it. They're out there. We're not meat sacks, first or last. We are avatars for non-corporeal, ever-continuing consciousness. Which means we, we need not fear those discarnate entities, entities operating at a level not physically perceptible. We exist on all those levels too. And growing in our awareness will only help us grow stronger. Yo, Intense, chapters eight and nine. Let me know what you think. I hope you're growing in power. If you're here with me, you are. We are. The more we do this, the better we get. Go, experience your power. Let it grow in your awareness and intelligence. As we, with every breath we take, shape our experience for the better. For you, for me, for us all. Thanks for hanging. More power to you. Catch you on the next one. <laughs>